Hey, it's Mark. It's November. And in healthcare, November is synonymous with the start of open enrollment, that period when employees of companies and organizations can make changes to their benefits, including their health insurance. Payers find themselves at an inflection point this fall. Health costs are steadily climbing due to inflation and a post-pandemic rise in demand for medical services. That means premiums are on the rise as well. Meanwhile, studies show that many people are dissatisfied with what they perceive as a slow pace of change among health plans and their ability to adapt to a changing consumer landscape. We'll hear how one health plan is using marketing to counter that perception and show how it's meeting the growing need for access to care. My colleague Lesha Bushak is also here with a health policy update. FDA Commissioner Robert Califf has tested positive for COVID-19. And it's midterm election day, so I'll recap some of the main health policy issues top of mind for voters as they head to the polls. And for my segment, I'll be joined by Leslie Irish Underwood, Chief Brand and External Relations Officer at New York City-based Metro Plus Health, to tell us about the plan's recent rebrand. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Leslie, hello, and welcome to the MMM Podcast. Hey, good morning, Mark. How you doing? I'm great, thanks. Thank you so much for having me here today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, we're, we're both live in studio, which is a pleasure. And if that doesn't indicate, you know, that we're moving past this pandemic, uh, I don't know what, what does. That's so. right. As Beyonce says, we are out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's wonderful. So, uh, and as listeners may not realize, uh, we also have a brand new state-of-the-art podcast studio uh, whose construction was recently finished. And much of the credit for that goes to Bill, our sound engineer, uh, who, if you ask, you'd probably say that it's still a work in progress. But <laughs> That's right. That's it looks, right. It looks great. So pleasure to have you. Thank you. First, I'd love to hear about your background because we have something in common in, in, in your publishing uh, experience. But to, to talk about that a little bit. That's right. I do hear we have that in common. So, yeah, I spent about 25 years in the consumer publishing industry, most of that time at Random House. Uh, working at Alfred A. Knopf, who's kind of the the big deal in yeah. publishing. So I think I was started at such a young age, I wasn't even clear on how important being at Knopf was, mm-hmm. um, but really worked in every facet of consumer publishing, from adult publishing, did children's, uh, did YA, uh, was there during this sort of jump and the advent of audiobooks. Um, so, yeah, and as well as digital books. So, uh, spent about 25 years there and really enjoyed that time, but knew that there was going to be an opportunity for me to take sort of what had been poured into me and move it into a space where people could really be impacted. And so, um, I guess about 10 years ago, I made the transition into not for profit. I was the first chief marketing officer for United Way of New York City. Um, and was there for just about seven years before I transitioned here to Metro Plus Health, where I am their first chief brand and external relations officer. And in publishing is an exciting place to be. You're constantly meeting new authors and, and promoting them and also trying to keep your finger on the pulse That's right. of all those different demographics <laughs> you mentioned, which which uh, probably gave you a, a good sense for it that. It did. It did. I find I bring a lot of publishing sort of, you know, air quotes, lessons into the space for nonprofit. You know, I think that a lot of nonprofits think that their um, their work will speak for itself. It's really good work. It's work that's important. But I think from the program side, they think that the work will speak for themselves. And I think coming to nonprofit with the you know sort of publishing lens, what I was able to say is, no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have to get out there. You have to tell the story. 
you have to make sure that people actually know what you're doing, why it's impactful, why they should be engaged, why they should be involved, why they should care. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do think that that was a little bit of a different perspective that I know I brought to United Way and that I think we've been able to successfully also do at Metro Plus. So Metro Plus Health is a public health insurance plan, New York City based, about 675,000 covered lives in the city. How How does a public insurance plan differ from a private payer? So, you know, as a public benefit organization and as a non for profit, we actually are able to provide our members with significantly discounted, if not free, Um, health insurance. I mean, we talk often about the fact that we are low or no cost in most cases. We have a number of uh, lines of business that are federally funded and some that are state funded. And so because we're really not focused on a profitable bottom line, we're able to really pass those benefits along to our members. And we're also able to really keep the costs affordable, especially for New Yorkers in historically disadvantaged communities, in low-income communities who really need access to quality health care the most. Mm-hmm. And on September 27th, you debuted new branding. Yes. Before, before we talk about the, the rebrand, what was the plan known for up until now? And what was kind of driving the need for the refresh? I mean, if I want to be completely candid with you, Mark, I'm not sure anybody knew what the plan stood for. I think that was really the sort of the impetus behind the rebrand. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got to Metro Plus, what I realized is the stories were there. The work was there. The community served were there, but nobody knew. It was a little bit like the tree falling in the forest. And what we needed to do was to really pull together different looks, different feels, different narratives that had happened over many years and really kind of bring them under a single tent. And so, you know, the brand unification project that we initiated that kind of evolved into this rebrand was really in an effort to make sure that people actually knew exactly who we were and what we actually did stand for. And I think, you know, for the most part, people thought that we were only sort of Medicaid and Medicare insurance, where we have multiple lines of businesses serve every New Yorker at every income level, uh, no matter what community they're in. And we needed to really help people understand, you know, the breadth of who Metro Plus what really was. And you've got a lot of different plans. We do. Checking we out the do. website, you've got something for everybody. <laughs> we do. I mean, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, um, if you're an Uber driver, we have a line of business for you. If you are in a low-income community, we have a line of business for you. If you are, you know, working and have a family, we have a line of business for you. I mean, there, I think what people don't know is that no matter where they are kind of on the spectrum financially, that there's a line of business that Metro Plus Health can help with. Great. And so uh, in conjunction with the rebrand, you revamped the website. We much more user-friendly. Yes. Uh, you're airing commercials uh, through December 25th. And uh, the New York City subways are officially branded with yes, the health plan's new absolutely. look. Absolutely. You know, what we wanted people to know is that Metro Plus Health is really about people, not profits. You know, so much of any, if there are any additional funds that we've raised at the end of the year, they are reinvested in New York. They are actually put back into the New York City Health and Hospital System to be able to provide even broader public health services to New Yorkers. You know, here's a little tidbit for you, Mark. What most people don't know and what I certainly didn't know, and I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn, have never lived anywhere else, love the fact that I'm in Brooklyn because Brooklyn got real sexy recently. Um, but the New York City public health system is the largest public health system in the country. 
There are 11 public health and hospitals, and they are all really anchored, most of them in communities of need. The closest city with anything like what New York City has is California that only has two. So when we talk about a public health safety net, the combination of Metro Plus and health and hospitals is that safety net. You know, what I thought when I arrived is that people don't know that we're kind of the gold standard for what the meshing together of public health and public health insurance looks like. And frankly, I think we could serve as a model for lots of other major urban centers. Yeah. And, and diversity is a big theme. Yes. How, how does that play out in the campaign? Diversity plays out in the campaign because I think we needed to know that we had authentic New Yorkers. So for our campaign, we did a new shoot. Everyone that you see in the campaign are actual New Yorkers in New York City settings because, you know, if you live in New York, you know, kind of like that hashtag, if you know, you know, right? You know whether you're in Park Slope or whether you're actually, you know, in Central Park. I mean, people know when you have created a space where it's actually New York City, not Denver. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also know whether the people there are actually New Yorkers. Are they representing the people that we see around us every single day? You know, I'll tell you, I got the the best text in the world last Thursday from a very, very good friend who's a senior leader at Saatchi. And she had been seeing our ads on the C train as she rode into the office. And she said, so often people are trying so hard that they miss the mark. She said, I could tell from the images, from the backgrounds, that this was really New York. She said, I have to tell you, I think you guys nailed it. Uh-huh, and nice. so, but, I mean, I couldn't wait to share that with the staff and with yeah. our t- and with our creative team. That's great feedback from yes, here. Absolutely. I mean, really, I mean, really so just so clear about some of the things that we really tarried over, really made sure that mm-hmm. we felt like we got right. And so to hear that from someone who's incredibly experienced was really um, rewarding. Sure. Now let's talk about the research a little bit uh, that helped you arrive at this position. Yeah. You also you did a study in conjunction with the campaign, uh, the second annual study of the New York City Dream That's survey right. results. Uh, tell us about that a little bit and maybe how it informed the, the, the effort. Sure. New York City, as we know, is the land of dreams. People come here because they're looking to really achieve the dream of their life. But what we found in looking at the dream survey was that there's a couple of key things that people think must happen in order for that to come to uh, fruition. Obviously, financial stability was was number one. There's no doubt about that. In New York City, as expensive as we know that it is and with inflation impacting us every single day, certainly that that's a key thing. You know, but I think that what we found and what was interesting is that the second thing was really looking at what does self-sufficiency look like? And healthcare was right there as number one. Really, over 75 percent of the respondents really felt that if they did not have good health, that their ability to have access to a quality career, access to financial stability um, was really going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. And so what we understood was that people actually see health as very central how it is that they even are able to achieve the New York City dream. And that definitely informed some of the copy, some of the approach of how we dealt with our fall campaign. And then one of the other findings was that, uh, overwhelmingly so, uh, people believe that not-for-profit healthcare companies can provide better services because they don't have the profit sure. motive, which goes directly to you know the, the, the idea of choice. Absolutely. There's a lot of choices out there. A lot of choices in New York City. I mean, certainly as a major metropolitan center, there are tons of different choices that people can make. And yes, there are several that are nonprofit. 
But what I do think is that as a public benefit organization, what I love is that not only are we not focused on the profit side, but even the profit side goes back into the city. And that's one of the stories, for example, that I really wanted to make sure I started to tell and made sure that our members and the communities that we serve understood. Many of them are accessing some of the same hospitals that we actually end up helping to support financially. But I do think it's important. You know, we know from lots of other surveys that, you know, millennials and and, and Gen Zs, they are very interested in ensuring that their dollars are going into organizations that they think are actually doing good. Mm -hmm. We know that a good percentage of them will go and work with other people, even if they're slightly more expensive, knowing that the outcome will be driving good. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not surprised. I was not surprised during the survey to understand that the reality is people, yeah, people do want to work with an organization that really puts its people first, uh, both internally as well as the communities we serve. It's it's a great point. To uh, ask you about one another data point from the survey, 88% said they believe that insurance should cover mental health at zero dollars. What's your, what's MPH's uh, We believe in that 110%. Last year, we actually brought behavioral health services in-house. We were using an outside partner and they are now part of our in-house services. And so as part of our overall medical coverage for our members, behavioral health is included. And certainly coming out of the pandemic, I mean, you know, New York City was the, the, you know, the epicenter of the epicenter, right? So when you think about the need of New Yorkers around mental and behavioral health, I think what I admire about our president and CEO is that she also always has her sort of finger on the pulse of what's happening. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Schwartz is, I mean, first of all, she has a unique perspective because she's a doctor, right? I do think that it's unique that at Metro Plus Health, of all of the other major health insurance organizations that are in, you know, really in New York City, she's the only doctor, (laughs) And so I think that she sort of brings that medical service perspective um, to her leadership. And I see that every day in terms of how we work together with her. But I also see it show up in the decisions that we make for how it is that we're serving our members and trying to serve other communities. And so, you know, the idea of really prioritizing behavioral and mental health was driven by her decision to actually bring it as an in-house service that we could then mesh with medical outcomes to really serve and service the sort of 360 person, Mm -hmm. right? Having those services, you know, sort of distinctly separate, you're not really able to sort of see the the person and their needs in in, in a wraparound way. And I think, you know, her goal in moving BH in-house was really to make sure that we were servicing the full member. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you look around at other plans around the country, mental health parity uh, and, and reimbursement for that alongside other medical needs is really right. not there, even Very though challenged. there's legislation uh, Very on the books that requires that. So, you know, kudos. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what I would say, Mark, is my, my hope is at some point as we get a little bit further into the work and as we start to see some of the outcomes, as we start to see sort of the benefit of really melding medical and behavioral health services, my hope is that we'll be able to put out a white paper um, that will be able to sort of serve for other major urban centers as, you know, as, as a bit of a roadmap for what this could look like in, you know, what could this look like in Dallas? What could it look like in D.C. and in Atlanta? Other markets where we know that there are huge disparities in, in population huge disparities in care. Mm-hmm. Sure. Just want to switch gears for a moment, talk a little sure. bit about CX for a bit. Yeah. Um, there was a Forrester study involving 119 different health insurers um, and uh, they interviewed 
both the, the plans uh, executives who were in charge of CX as well as the members, uh, they found that only a quarter, 22% of insurers said they have a key person, preferably at the C-suite level, signed to own member experience. Yeah. Talk about that vis-a-vis uh, -vis MPH. Yeah, so at Metro Plus Health, that's me. <laughs> uh, so the customer experience team is is under my leadership, and we have a fantastic leader uh, in Brenda Sridhar, who actually leads our CX work internally. Um, you know, we're really proud of the work that we do in making sure that our member experience, but we also look at it, we really, you know, think about all of our customer types. So it's our providers, uh, it's our members, it's the communities we serve. We really look at it in, I think, a very sort of, very broad brush in terms mm -hmm. of what customer, you know, what, what does the, the sort of name customer actually touch? Um, we are definitely very focused on the experience of our members. Um, our new website is one of the ways that we're hoping that our members will be able to access and uh, us, you know, much more efficiently and effectively and be able to find more quickly the things that we need. Uh, they've done, we've done a complete overhaul of our member portal um, you know, we've been partnered with Salesforce in order to really impact how does that work? How does that look? Um, how easy is it to access? For example, we made our website mobile first. Uh -huh. uh, we, you know, again, in, in tapping into our communities and doing surveys at our community offices, we found out that the majority, 89% of our website visitors are coming from mobile. <laughs> uh -huh. And so looking across our member type, we said, okay, if we're going to redevelop the site, it needs to be mobile first. And so almost everything that our members need can be found and accessed through the site and also can be done easily from their phone. Sure. Uh, you know, that, that Forrester study, speaking of the phone, yeah. found that um, the leading channel that members use to interact with their health insurer is still the phone, 42% uh, when seeking answers. But that reliance on call centers was more a, a capitulation that the websites were just too hard to use. Sure. So um, the, most, the next most often used channel was the plan's website, 38%. Roughly a third of members aren't pleased with their digital experience. Right. So nice to hear that uh, you know you, you you upped it with um, incorporating various uh, features. Yeah, to up we the tried. I mean, there. I think Mark, we tried to take all of those things into consideration. Our call center, I'm sure, like so many others, gets a lot of uh, highly trafficked. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, part of that is because we wanted to ensure that our members could actually find, sort of seek and find and answer the things that they were looking for on their mm -hmm. own. Um, but that was never going to happen if it was primarily desktop. And it was never going to happen unless it was intuitive. And so I really love the team that we've worked with to redevelop the site because so much of it, again, it are sort of skills brought from other industries. Right. I think one of the I hope one of the things I've been able to bring to Metro Plus is not um, feeling comfortable only looking at what other health companies are doing. What's Amazon doing? You know, what's Macy's.com doing? What, you know, what are some of the other experiences digitally across other industries that we know people have gotten used to? You know, one of the things I said during the redev is that during the pandemic, even people that never used Seamless or folks that didn't use some of the food delivery services and the ease of those, they had to use those because it was the way we could only operate during the pandemic. Well, everyone's now used to a certain level of, of intuitive use of a site yes. or of an app or of the website on mobile. And so we constantly had to keep those things in mind because we needed to build for what we thought people were used to using 
not necessarily to what we saw the other places in the industry doing. Right, right. So access was a key theme you wanted to Big hit thing. on. How, uh, how, how did a Metro Plus Health expand access during the pandemic? Well, you know, our community offices stayed open throughout most of the pandemic because the need for access to quality health care was important. We actually had a larger number of, of sort of anchors in the New York City Health and Hospitals locations, which at the time were, as you can imagine, incredibly busy. We have partnerships with over 40 hospital systems here in New York City. That's another thing that we have really tried to make sure that people know um, that while we are a wholly owned subsidiary of health and hospitals, that we have partnerships with all of the major health and hospitals uh, hospital systems here in New York City. And so working closely with those, we really made sure um, that we could get to people who needed access to care during the pandemic. Um, part of the other thing is that we also built some standalone pages on our, on our old site, really just so that people had a direct place to go. We put QR codes up around New York City that helped people again access the site through their phone, mm -hmm. just so that they could actually um, tap into and have some of our sales reps call them back with what they needed. And so really found a way to ensure, uh, especially considering how hard hit New York City was, that people, if they needed the help, if they needed health care for themselves and their families, that one way or the other, whether it was phone or digital or outdoor, that they could find a way to get to us. Sure, sure. Do you think there's a, I know a lot of um, uh, organizations made moves to expand access to telehealth sure. during the pandemic? Sure. Um, there's also... You know, uh, a lot of uh, organizations allow patients to receive care in non-traditional venues like retail settings these days. Do you think there's a reticence among um, Metro Plus Health members to, to go back to the hospital again? or Because uh, that's such a big emphasis uh, on, on where you, your sites of care are. I mean, you know, we also have a very robust, robust telehealth platform that our members use. We've seen that consistently increase. Uh, certainly it spiked during the pandemic, but continues to be at a pretty high level in terms of use. Mm -hmm. I do think non-traditional settings are important. Um, you know, one of the partnerships that my colleague, uh, Roger Milliner, who's our chief growth officer, um, initiated even in advance of my joining Metro Plus was that we have a number of barbershop settings that we actually do um, and have healthcare visits in. And we have our sales reps there available to help people get signed up. Um, for for healthcare, um, you know, we know that there are certain populations, very specifically, that are often challenged around accessing hospitals or going into the doctor, um, and need the the atmosphere of sort of a trusted messenger in order to actually kind of break down some of the concerns. And for I think men of yes. color is an audience very specifically, and and. I mean, you know, we, we understand the history, we understand why. And so really moving, I think, into some of those non-traditional settings is really important. I know that we do it quite a bit. I hope that other health plans will adopt that. You know, you had mentioned earlier, Mark, the import of diversity, right? And I think that, you know, part of Metro Plus Health's secret sauce is that we have a very diverse leadership team. Um, and when I look across the spectrum of a lot of other major major health organizations, I'm not so sure I see that level of diversity at the leadership table. And so that's where some of these decisions are made. Right. Um, that's right. where you have people that are in a level of authority that can insist that certain decisions get made. And so, you know, my hope is that we will start to see a greater level of diversity in healthcare leadership that will, I think, start to drive some of those outcomes across other organizations as well. Terrific.
Uh, what agencies, if I may ask, uh, helped you with the rebrand? Sure. So we work closely with the Bellwether Agency, and we also, most of our media and some of the other creative was done by Prager Creative. To, I think, very similar to us, Mark, what we loved about them was that they were innovative, creative, and scrappy. And I think that's what our team is. We've built the team in about two years. We, we still have a pretty scrappy team. Um, you know, folks, there's not a lot of redundancy in, in roles in my team. People bring sort of their authentic selves and their talent to the table every single day. It's not a lot of people, but we get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a nice marriage there. It is. It is. I think the agencies are also a bit more, you know, like I said, boutique and scrappy as well. And so, you know, they got us. We actually, as a, you know, again, as a public benefit office uh, organization, we had to run an RFP for all of our, you know, sort of major purchases. We have to do an RFP process. Um, Bellwether and Prager were definitely the two, I think, that stood out. And we've been incredibly happy with the work that they've done for us. Great. Well, the campaign looks terrific. I know your membership is on the upswing as well. So Leslie, thanks so much for coming. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, you, Mark. It's been a pleasure to have you to to speak to you today too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. FDA Commissioner Robert Califf has tested positive for COVID-19, the agency announced Monday evening. Califf was reportedly traveling on official agency business when he tested positive and is currently isolating at home. He's reportedly experiencing mild symptoms while continuing working virtually, the agency said. Now on to the midterm elections. Abortion is a hot issue this year, with five states voting on how to handle reproductive rights in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade being overturned. In Montana, people will vote on the Born Alive law, which would require doctors to provide resuscitative care to babies that are born prematurely or survive abortion, or those doctors would face penalties. In Kentucky, voters will decide on an amendment in which the state would not recognize abortion as a right. And in Michigan, voters will decide on Proposal 3, which would protect abortion rights in the state constitution. Other states voting on reproductive rights issues on the ballot include California and Vermont. Some experts say the abortion issue is one of the main drivers behind people getting out to vote this year. Medicaid expansion is also on the list, with South Dakota deciding whether it will expand Medicaid to some 42,000 people. If voters say yes, South Dakota will become the seventh Republican-controlled state to expand Medicaid. And in Arizona, voters will decide on a measure that aims to tackle medical debt. The measure would lower the amount of interest that can be charged for medical debt from 10 to 3 percent. Finally, five states are considering legalizing marijuana, including Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, North Dakota, and South Dakota. We'll be watching those healthcare issues and others as the elections get underway. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.